Hey, this is Annie from the Coronas. This is Niall Minnelli from the Performance and Fitness Academy. This is Karen Preen from Deadlifts and Red Lips. Hi, this is Stephen Obar from Obar Muscle. This is Jason Kaufman of Jason 2.0. This is the personal trainer, Dominic Minnelli. Hashtag the way of Dom. And you're listening to the Dan Kyo Wellness Project Podcast. Welcome to episode 43 of the Dan Kiel Wellness Project podcast. Um, one of the best things about setting up this podcast over a couple of years ago was the fact that I really wanted the content and the different episodes and my content online to reach out and touch people and give them a kind of hope in the sense that they would be able to tell their story and reach out to me and want to tell their story too. And that is the topic of today's podcast. I have the beautiful Amy on today who's going to talk to me about her story through her own mental health management piece the same way I have kind of spoken about mine on my blog for years so Amy welcome to the Dan Kyo Wellness Project podcast thank you how are you today um I'm good it's sunny so I'm happy <clears throat> thanks for coming all the way to Salons <laughs> to my little hobbit house behind my sister's house that I take all of my Salon Sunsets pictures from. Yes, the famous Salon Sunset pictures. Yeah, and that I'm very proud of. And by the way, I'm never going to stop doing that. Yeah, no, don't. Oh, you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, why did you uh, reach out to me on Instagram and say um, that you wanted to tell your story? I, so I've been thinking a lot about doing something like this recently. Okay. Um, Like, for me, I suppose I've been through so much. And there's just years and years of stuff. Right. And, you know, when I think, you know, I was thinking about it and I thought I've actually been through a lot and I want people to know who are in that situation that it can get better. Okay. And that's why I've come on to share my story today. That's the best reason you could have given to come on here. And I think that, like you mentioned that you have been thinking about it for a mm. while. So had that thought occurred to you before you... Uh, connected oh, yeah. with me online yeah definitely and I write a lot as well and I kind of I write the truth and I kind of try and pass it off as fiction <laughs> all right and uh, I'm kind of tired of doing that I just want to sit down and talk about it mm. and you know okay. give people hope because when you're in that place it's so bad yeah so you had had the thought okay I've reached a point in my journey where yeah. I think that my experience mm. both good and bad yeah will be able to help others and then uh, the universe conspired to yeah, bring me much. into your life yeah. for you to see, you know, that I've been ha having similar conversations with other people mm. about 43 times. Um, and you thought, yeah, this seems like a good way to start that yeah, process. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I want to go back. I suppose if you want to take it from the start with yeah, yourself, um, like... I can definitely take it from the start. Um, I suppose where it really started off was self-harm mm. I suppose and I started doing that when I was quite young I had a friend growing up and he did it too yeah. and the two of us would do it together in our early teens and I don't know why it was kind of it was a very kind of strange relationship because we would meet up and this this would be something that we would do mm. and one particular night when I was I was 14 and I was going down the road and he brought out a knife and I cut myself with a knife 
and I ended up in hospital getting four stitches. Now, at the time, I obviously didn't tell my parents because, yeah. you know. So I told them that I'd fallen off a rock onto a piece of broken glass. Okay. But that, for me, was the start of something which would go on for years and years and years. Mm. So my parents at the time visited a GP um, to seek advice. Yeah. And my mum suggested possibly getting me counselling. And the GP in question said, no, don't get her counselling. They'll put ideas into her head. They'll blame it on the parents. Okay, and so she, that, that was the GP's response That was that the time. GP's response. That's horrifying to me. Yeah. It's okay. like, it's awful. Um, so he said to her, she'll grow out of it. You know, you can counsel her out of it. And my mum, in fairness, did. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent. But of course, it didn't go away. And what was very strange about it was that the self-destruction was manifesting itself in different ways. Okay. So obviously I'd been caught cutting myself, so I had to find another way to cope. As in a way that you could hide it from exactly, everybody yeah. but still exactly. follow through. Yeah. yeah, precisely. So in my, I suppose, late teens, um, I developed an eating disorder. Okay. Um, which is something I do want to talk a little bit about today because it's the part I don't talk about. Um because, you know, I, I would speak a lot. Um, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, that kind of took over. But the eating disorder was also a big thing. And it's something that I would talk about a lot less. Right. Do you know? But, so it's important to you that you do. Yeah, I wanna, I, wanna, I absolutely want to mention that. And yeah. I, I do want to talk about it. But, of course, you know, my late teens, early 20s were a train wreck. I was in a very abusive relationship. And things just spiralled, considerably spiralled. And the eating disorder, um, my weight just dropped and dropped and dropped. Yeah. And I was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have bulimia, I had more kind of, I suppose, anorexia. Yeah. Uh, but what I would do is was I would take laxatives. I never puked, I was too scared to do that. Okay. Um, but I would take laxatives and at one point I was taking 60 a day which sounds like a lot, which is a lot, probably. Yeah. Um, and I remember just sitting in the bath. Like, there were nights I just sat in the bath in pain, with stomach pains and everything. Mm. Um, so this this was your way of moving away from cutting yeah. yourself, yeah. essentially. But the, the dynamic, would you say, was exactly the same in it terms was the of exact, Yeah, it was the exact same thing. And, you know, like, for years, kind of, it circled around because I would always find something <laughs> destructive to be doing. Yeah. And what was really interesting was that, you know, even with binge drinking, you know, I'd get caught cutting, I'd stop eating. People would notice I'd stopped eating, I'd start binge drinking. Okay. You know, so there was always kind of... So it was of, fluid. It was, it was, it was really fl fluid, it yeah. There went was, into one and out of another, back to yeah, one, into another. absolutely. And it was a nightmare um, to treat because what I would do is I would go into the doctor, I'd be begging them. Yeah. to fix me basically because you know you show up at the doctor and you're like fix me fix hopefully me not the same gp that your parents no no to. no i moved away from him good um i got another gp yeah, <laughs> yeah basically that's good <laughs> um i actually haven't been back to him since my sister goes to him though but um yeah so i would i would always have something that i was doing yeah and i was very hard to treat because as i say i would go to the doctor i would be like fix me he prescribed me antidepressants i'd take them for maybe a couple of months i'd mm. go well i'm fine now i don't need them yeah and off i'd go it's a very common thing for people with depression mm. in my experience yeah um oh great that worked 
I yeah. don't need it anymore. Yeah. Oh shit, look, we're on back square one. And all of that can happen in quite a short period of time. As yeah. you mentioned, two months really, and then within yeah. a few weeks you can be back you to You can be back one. to even worse. Like, And I, I don't think it helped. Like I, <clears> In my late teens as well, I smoked a lot of weed, yeah. which I shouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, but I think there's the stuff we would have had, there was probably so much stuff in it that I, I don't think it helped yeah. in any way, shape or form. But at the time, of course, you think it's helping. But it's it's not a long term solution, yeah. as such. So all of these things that you're talking about here, I mean, you know, we we talked about the fluidity there mm. of binge drinking to you know that troubled eating, mm. a disordered eating even, um, smoking too much weed, excess of everything, yeah. self harm, cutting. All would you say that all of those behaviours were basically dealing with the same emotion? Hundred percent, hundred. And how long did it take you to realize that that was happening? Like, have you only come to realize this now? My mid twenties. Yeah, I would say, um, definitely my mid twenties. Okay. Um, I the self harm thing. You know, the self harm thing is kind of now. Like, if I I tried to do it again a year ago, and I hadn't done it in a few years, and I don't know, I was just really upset one day, and I thought, oh, I'll give this another bash. And I went upstairs and I cut myself and I realized that I could no longer cut myself because now I'm an adult and now I'm thinking okay. and now I'm like, oh, what have I do with an artery? <laughs> you know, that kind yeah. of way. Like it's, it's so like logical brain was my logical brain. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting scared now because I'm older. Um, I actually find, you know, when you hit 30, it's kind of one of these things where a lot of things you just think, fuck everything. You know, yeah. you just, you're totally, you know. Um, everything just kind of falls and you go falls into place basically yeah and you don't care as much about makeup and clothes and hair and all that kind of stuff okay you know but then there's another thing that happens where you do get anxious about a lot of things because you're getting older so you know there's things that wouldn't have bothered you yeah like what? just like i suppose like even smoking weed i'd be terrified to smoke weed now <laughs> like I've, I've done it but I don't like doing it, do you know that kind of way? Okay, so are you saying that you become more logical? Yeah, the more definitely. Matured? So yeah. I, I spoke with Brendan Farrell on, on episode 42 about the, I suppose, the dichotomy between mm. the emotional brain and the uh, logical brain yeah. and how, for him, certainly, the, the logical brain helps him quite a lot. Yeah. Like, I'm quite encouraged by that idea that the older we get, yeah, we can incorporate the logical brain in yeah. with the emotional brain so that the emotional brain doesn't take over the way it did for you in your late yeah. teens early 20s that's that's the thing and like now like if i <clears throat> if i smoked weed you know now um I, i'm kind of half panicking about it if i do it now you know that kind of yeah. way like so i just i don't go near it now yeah um but again it was just it was just a coping mechanism for yeah. a very long time and uh, just so everybody knows, I'm not anti-weed. <laughs> um, I'm all for legalizing and everything like that. But just for me, it wasn't a good idea. Well, Amy, this episode is your episode of the Dan Kill Wallace Project podcast. So this isn't a platform for spouting any agenda of any kind. <laughs> all I care about and the listeners care about because they've taken the time to download yeah. it is your story. So yeah. don't worry about offending anybody. Okay. This is your time and we want to hear your experience and get hope from yeah. it, you know? No, I mean, it's like, it's kind of a, I think a lot of things help me realise that, you know, that I suppose got me to that point of logical thinking. Yeah. And 
I suppose the first one was um, there was a girl that I was in hospital with and she died. Okay. And that really struck a chord with me because I was like, oh my God, that could have been me. Okay, so she, had she experienced a similar story to yourself? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, um, you know, you just kind of think, oh my God. And it was kind of, I was still, I was still self-harming quite heavily at that time. Yeah. And I did this, like I, I would cut myself and I had moved on to burning myself with lighters and things like that. And I burned my arm um, and had to go under general anaesthetic and have a skin graft on yeah. because it was so bad. Now the, the process of that went on months because it wasn't like I sat down one day and did the whole thing. Um, that was kind of one of these processes that went on for months and months and months. And I would like, I'd burn it and then I'd keep burning it and yeah. I'd just keep going with it. Like, yeah. and you know, she died um, around the time I got my skin graft. And actually she died a couple of months before, but I didn't find out about it. Um, and that kind of shocked me. Was that a huge turning point? Oh yeah, definitely massive turning point. Um, because, you know, I suppose I, I thought, I suppose there was a point in my life when I genuinely wanted to die. Like yeah. I would take drug overdoses and I didn't care what happened, but there was something about this particular girl. And, you know, I went out afterwards, I visited her mother and I saw her younger siblings and just the devastation yeah. that it had caused. Yeah. And I just went, oh my God, I could never do that to my parents. Like, Was that the start of your recovery? Yeah. Yeah. In a big way it would have been. And I, you know, I did, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I did struggle a lot with self-harm. Yeah. Um, still after that. And... But something clicked for you then. Something clicked, yeah. Like something when, when we talk clicked. about the start of a journey to recovery, mm. um, many of the listeners and pretty much anybody who has a brain or who has, yeah. who is human, who has struggled, who goes through stuff, mm. maybe not as extreme as what you went through, um, knows that when that click, when that moment happens for you, mm. it's not an overnight. <laughs> oh no! The like it's, day, it's know, not. Like, I didn't wake up one morning the and go. Dance, yeah. you know? Yes, I'm cured. So when you say that, when I asked you, was that a turning point, and you said you still struggled, I think that's quite a common thing. Yeah. In, in terms of, you can have the realization. Yeah. But there's still gonna be, even though it's an oh, upward curve. Yeah. Slide upward gradient. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I suppose that's kind of where I'd reassure people. Yeah. That these things do not happen overnight. Yeah. Um. You know, you're still gonna have that. I still struggle. You know, and you're gonna have bad days, but it's just getting through them, really. I yeah. suppose. It's the so main how thing. how do you, in twenty eighteen, get through a bad day? I keep going. How though? Um, it's even simple things like just getting up in the morning and making a cup of tea. Yes. Um, like I've kind of, it's one I just keep going. I suppose is the only way to put it. Yeah. Um. I'm really interested in the little things like yeah, like, like getting up and. And making the tea and what, what I've been doing in my bad days um, over the past couple of years is uh, you know I've, I've got this list of things that I that I know I need yeah. to check off and yeah. one of them is brushing my teeth <laughs> no but that's that's how you do it like, so it has to be an intentional thing right yeah like it's just it's literally like I mean I've kind of been I suppose lucky with my parents because my parents have always made me work hmm. um They've always made me have a job, and I curse them for it. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> you want to live a life of luxury. But no matter how I was feeling, I was rooted up out of the bed to go to work. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, this thing, like, there is, I suppose, a misconception people have that, you know, if you do suffer from mental illness, the thing is to keep yourself really, really busy. Talk to me um, a little bit about that then. Like, like that is such common advice that I think yeah. people may dish out willy-nilly without realizing the broad really spectrum of difficulties that people have. Yeah, and you can you can take on too much and make yourself like you can wind up burnt out. Yeah, you know, and I think you the important thing really is to strike a balance because I mean I've done all that. Like, I've tried to keep myself busy, and then what happens is you end up miserable, and you think, how can I be miserable? Because I'm doing what they told me to do, yeah. and keep busy. It's too much of a blanket advice statement. I yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's it's like you were saying, you know, the little things. Yeah. You know, they're nearly more important. You can keep yourself occupied, but you don't need to keep yourself go, go, go 24-7. It's a really important distinction you make there. Yeah. Really, really important. It reminds me of that funny... Uh, funny meme I'm always reverting yeah. to memes because I'm just obsessed <laughs> with the fucking thing but sometimes they hit the nail on the head and it's this one of person one what are you yeah. doing tonight person two nothing yeah person one oh great you could do no no person two I I'm doing nothing yeah doesn't mean I'm free yeah so why I brought that up is because the whole idea of and when I talk about little actions yeah. to to keep busy mm. I hate using that term keep busy for the reason yeah. you just outlined but if you do nothing with intention mm. that can be minding yourself that yeah. can be an action absolutely that you take, yeah but, and you can schedule it in yeah to help yourself it doesn't mean that you go 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 busy 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 to, and then next thing like you're just you're living on coffee you can't sleep you're wondering why you're so miserable <laughs> like and if you have a personality like what me and you have yeah. which is to do everything in the extreme yeah then you do end up like that yeah Absolutely. All like, or nothing. Yeah, it's really, and actually it's funny you use it, uh, the all or nothing thing because I, I always get told that. Do you really? Yeah, always get told that. Is it something you're aware of Yes, yourself? very aware of. And like, even like, I am a college dropout. Okay. And um, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I used to study English and history in UCD and I was really good at English and I got all firsts pretty much. Yeah. And history, I failed and not that was the end, not interested in it and that was kind of the end so that was the nothing part yeah and I just went okay well I'm not going to do this properly I'm a perfectionist like and yeah. I'm like okay I'm not able to do this pro properly yeah. so I'm just not going to do it at all <laughs> like so which is terrible you describe yourself as a college dropper you do know that you know you can go to college whenever you want ah uh, yeah well ah uh, yeah but I'm, I'm kind of I'm at a point now in my life where I'm 31 yeah I just kind of want to settle down never thought I'd say that <laughs> <laughs> but it's now like when I talk about college down the line it's like oh maybe when I have children you know yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will I, I imagine I'll go back because I love learning yeah. and I'm always reading always reading always scribbling down things always writing fiction that's yeah. closer to the truth than fiction, fiction. yeah exactly <laughs> could you talk to me a bit about your um, process of writing because I know that we have a lot of mutual friends yeah. who are writers I dabble uh, yeah. myself and I've been on you know, um, a few different, what are they called, retreats with, yeah. with our friend Colin Keegan yeah. and stuff like that. And it is something that I get a lot out of, but haven't managed to figure out a way to put a structure on my creative mm. process yet. Um, how does that help you with your your uh, mental health management? Just taking the time to do something for me. Yeah. Um, what I find is, you know, talking about doing nothing and, you know, 
like one of my favorite things to do is to go to a cafe yeah for an hour or two hours and sit with a notebook right. or a laptop and just type away i love that as well it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and just to sit there you know and even if you don't want to write if you're not in the mood to write not to beat yourself up about it but take out a book yeah you know and i actually one of the best things is i have a kindle which i didn't want um, I was like, no, 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 paper books, paper books. But actually, like the Kindle has just been a godsend, and no one can see what you're reading. So you could be reading the most unbelievable amount of shite, yeah, like flowers in the attic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah. nobody, nobody sees what you're reading. Because so you it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. When you're in that, when you're in that scenario, that's I know, your I know, space. I know. Yeah, like and when you when you have a paper book, you know, you you kind of feel you have to be reading some great classic or something. But when you have like a Kindle, you can read whatever you want. Yes. You know, and it's brilliant. So that's in a scenario where you go to that coffee shop, as you said, for a couple of minutes yeah. and the inspiration isn't there or you're not feeling mm. into the writing. You have that as a backup. Yeah. So Hazel Hogan was on about mm. five episodes ago and she spoke beautifully, as she always does, about um, writing without fear. Yeah. And also, it was she was basically saying writing without giving a fuck what's going on to the page. Isn't there an expression? I can't remember who said it, but it was, uh, write as though your parents were dead. What? Yeah. I've never heard that before. Jeez, that's so depressing. <laughs> Isn't it horrible? Say a little bit more about that. I don't know. It just How, somebody... And does it relate to write, writing without fear, is it? That's basically what it is, because everybody's so afraid they'll offend their parents. They'll offend their parents. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I wanna, I'm one of the minority that don't feel that way about my mum yeah. and dad. Actually, I'm glad <laughs> for that, so I'm not going to write <laughs> as if they're dead. It's but I might, I might think of somebody that I offend quite often and write as if they're dead. <laughs> Maybe. Right as if your parents were dead. Yeah. But it's the same thing as what Hazel was saying. Right? Yeah. Writing without fear. Yeah, exactly. Is that a space that you get into where you do your best writing? Yeah. Like, Tony Robbins says, write for the waste paper basket. Yeah, no, but write that's true. As if nobody's ever going to see Yeah. It. That's the only way you can do it. Because, I mean, if, you, if you're sitting there paranoid of what people will think of you. Um, I actually had, um, this is probably one of the coolest things that ever happened to me um i was doing a reading one night and i was in a pub yeah. just reading a story um and this woman came up to me in the smoking area and she was elderly and she asked me very nicely if she could have a copy of my story because she she could relate to it so much Lovely. and she offered me 50 euro now i passed on for free i wasn't taking money off her obviously <laughs> But um, yeah. So she she wanted to give she wanted fifty euro just to have a copy of this story, which was bizarre because you never think that you're going to connect with people on such a level. But that's unbelievable. Mm. A feedback, you know, yeah. that somebody off their own bat where there wasn't like a stall saying mm. Amy's writing. Yeah. For sale here, that yeah. she would just come up come up with that organically. Yeah, she just approached me. And was that like? Did that strike you? Oh my God, maybe yeah, I do have something I can, you know, contribute. That's, or... yeah. And, you know, like I've, I've done a few readings before and people have come up to me afterwards. Yeah. And I suppose when you write, you know, and I'd write a lot, most of what I write would be around the mental health yeah. issue, horrible men issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I suppose when I write, I, writing is such a solitary activity. So it's just, it's effectively, it's just you typing away on a laptop for hours by yourself, you know, in your house or in a cafe. So when you can bring it out, 
you know, when you can actually produce it and show it to the world. Yeah. Um, to get that feedback on something that you don't think in a million years that people are going to connect with. Like that's, that's a, it's a strange feeling. But nice. Yeah. Oh, it's warm, lovely. Warm oh, it's, it's lovely. Like, because I've, you know, you're, it's just, it's something that you do, you're so alone when you do it. I really yeah. love that idea that you're bringing up now about writing being a solitary process mm. and the idea of writing for nobody. Yeah. Writing as if your parents were dead. It's terrible. Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> writing for the waste paper basket, as Tony Robbins yeah. said. Writing for, um, writing without fear, as Hazel said. Mm. And then the opposite side of that is when you do manage to get into that zone. It has the biggest impact on loads of people. Yeah. Like, there's such a dichotomy there. I know. It's And it's it's lovely. It's mm. absolutely lovely. But, like, I've never let my parents read anything that I've written. Yeah. Um. Last year, I did What's the Story? Yes. Um. You know, they did see a video of this, but I wrote a play. Mm. And I wrote the play about um, a very abusive relationship I was in in my early 20s. Okay. And I got these fabulous actors fabulous director and it was like it was just brilliant because again like people the woman I go into this particular coffee shop every Sunday morning mm. and the girl who serves me there every morning had actually been at my play because she knew my actor very good and did she know you were the writer yeah because he pointed her out he pointed me out to her because she said like who wrote your play and he said oh the blonde girl over there and what did she say she was like, I know did her. She, she like, comes into my cafe every night. Like she did, yeah. Well, she said she did, but she wasn't going to tell me if she hated it. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. that's, often the, that's often the difficulty with putting out content. To well, I, I like to, yeah, I like to think you never that get she, the yeah, I like to think that if she really hated it, she wouldn't have mentioned it. That's generally the way yeah. it goes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But um, it's actually, you know, that play kind of brings me back. My my lead character at one point, um, my lead female, yeah. um. She says at one point that whenever she gets sad or upset, she looks at the sea. Right now, I know this sounds like a total cliche. When you look at the sea, you know, you kind of think that's always going to be there. Yeah. That's constant. That's bigger than anything that might be going on in my life. Yeah. Is the sea. You know, and it does. It sounds like such a cliche. Well, you're talking to Mr. Cliche here. <laughs> Sound sunsets. They're brilliant. I love them. I know, but you're describing how I feel about that no you don't all yeah the sunset's not a constant but it's always behind the yeah, cloud exactly but i kind of feel like that's been incorporated i've incorporated that yeah. into my life so much yeah because it gives me such a sense of calm in difficult times yeah and i push myself to to notice it and yeah. stay present when it's there yeah for the same reason that you're describing there. yeah it's just the idea that there's something that's so much bigger yeah you know than anything you might be going through it's like here is the sea. The sea has been here like years and years, millions of years, like, yeah. And it's still here. And that was one of the lines from the play that struck a chord. Yeah, a lot of people was it. Um, I don't know if it like nobody actually specifically said it, but it was just something I felt that I had to kind of get into the play. <clears throat> um, because it was it's it's literally like and not that I go out of my way to necessarily look in the sea, but like I go to town every morning to work. And the dark line, obviously, there's some beautiful views on the yeah. dark line. Stunning. Um, stunning, like, and it's just looking out over the sea. And you could be having a really bad morning, or you could be coming home after a really shitty day. Yeah. And you look out, and there's the sea. You 
have to intend to notice it. Yeah. And that's what I spoke about earlier about the intention of what are, doing nothing. Yeah. The intention of being a busy bee. Mm. It's an you have to have it in your mindset of some things like this, like view out mm. the dirt is gonna take me by surprise. But when it happens, yeah, I intend to drink it in. Yeah. Because it will take me out of the reverie that mm. I've been involved in through my work day or yeah. in my any difficulties that I'm having in relationships mm. or in my mental health. It's something that's readily available for yeah. all of us. Jero Shea, Fred the Boy Vizotto, we spoke about noticing the extra extraordinary in yeah. the banal. Yeah. In the in the ordinary. Um I think that like a lot of writers would say that as well. Like writers would always say All the best stuff I've ever read from writers yeah. has been about the most boring thing imaginable. But that's the thing, and they just make it so interesting. Yeah. You know, and like that's it's just looking for the beauty in just the everyday stuff. Yeah. And to see it and I, I think as as a writer, um or as you know, as writers, um, it's our job to kind of catch that. Are you including me in that? Yes, I'm including you. Oh God, I'm blushing now. You can't see it, but I'm <laughs> blushing for the first time in the Dan Wellness Project podcast. I'm not just roasting. <laughs> well, it is roasting in fairness. Which yes, I do. Um, yeah, there's something very visceral about that because mm. I in in my writings and in, in my attempts at you know creativity. I've always got the most out of talking about yeah. the ordinary things. Mm. Now, we've gone through a period in our little country and yeah. are going through a very politically unstable oh, yeah. period. And we'll get on to talking about the Eighth Amendment in a while, where there's a lot of change going on. Yeah. So there's big picture things. There's yeah. big, massive issues. Yeah. There's big shifts happening across our political spectrum for women, yeah. you know, for separation of yeah. church and state it's all happening at the moment it's very exciting yeah but the best pieces that i've read do get the message of those shifts across by talking about the tiny minutiae yeah. within them a great example is uh, emma Kerwin's mm. heartbreak oh that's brilliant i love that like he talks about standing in awe of all manah and he yeah. wrote it with the eighth amendment coming up yeah two years later might i yeah but january 2017 he released that yeah and we're nearly two years later on that so he was one of the strongest advocates and writers yeah early on but what i loved about a heartbreak was um because i've worked for a long time with mm. families who experience homelessness yeah and that was kind of intertwined in that piece as well mm. and there was one piece where the girl who got pregnant in in the piece was just looking up and the little I love you XX yeah. is written on the bunk beds. Yeah. It's that type of minutiae that made his piece so beautiful, I think. Yeah. Because that's cramped, overcrowded housing or yeah. emergency accommodation is what kids and young people like her yeah. are exposed to all the time at the moment. Oh, it's, have been it's for dreadful. About 10, 15 years, it's you know, absolutely like dreadful. Yeah. Um, that's actually something that does bother me. The homelessness, crisis. yeah, yeah, the housing crisis. Because I think it affects everyone, and people don't realise it affects them. Yeah, I agree. But as a writer, you and Emmett and Colm and all of these people, yeah. like we're, we're blessed at the moment. I think yeah. with people finding their voice. Yeah. In this, and social media has played a massive part. <clears throat> well, it's connecting us. Yeah, it really is. And it's like, the reason we're sitting here right now. Both. Yeah, this is how I met you, Instagram. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
it's the way it to get, go. It catches a lot of flack, social media does, and yeah. sometimes quite rightly. But when there's two people sitting in salons talking about wellness yeah. on a bank holiday Sunday, that's a beautiful thing. When there's yeah. activism like we've seen yeah. a few weeks ago around repealing the Eighth Amendment, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I oh, know, like it's it's a very exciting time. Yeah. I think because there is a shift happening. And it's it's just it's an exciting time for Ireland and for for young people in Ireland. And autonomy and choice. Yeah. Like it's it's just fantastic. like I didn't expect for the yes vote. Like I, I didn't expect like I kinda thought it would come in. Yeah. But the I suppose the no campaigners were so vocal. Yeah. And so loud. Mm. And a lot of that was that you know, they, they had so much American backing. I mean, yeah. they really did. Um, but I didn't expect the yes side to win. You know, and I, to I, the extent it did. To the extent it did. And I, I went up to Dublin Castle for the count. Yeah. And I rang my mom afterwards and I was hysterical crying. Yeah. And she thought my boyfriend had broken up with me. <laughs> that was her first thought. She's like, where's Damon? Has he broken up with you? I was like, no. The bastard. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 he hasn't. He hasn't no, broken I'm up. No, I'm happier than I've ever been in my yeah. life, mother. And I was like, uh, no, he hasn't broken up with me. She goes, what's wrong with you then? And I said, we repealed it, you know? And she yeah. just went, oh, for fuck's sake, Amy. I thought something <laughs> terrible had happened. <laughs> like, yeah. but, um, yeah. And I suppose, like, one of the reasons that that meant so much to me, um, I kind of touched on it. I was in a very abusive relationship yes. in my early 20s. And I suppose it was a thought that I could have got pregnant back then. Yeah. Um, and very easily so, because I wasn't particularly careful. Yeah. But just the, the idea... the position you would have been left in. The position I would have been left in. Um, and that's what I suppose... And, you know, you had loads of women coming forward with their stories. Yeah. And that, to me, was very encouraging. And that's one of the reasons I actually contacted you as well, because, you know, I, I was seeing a lot of people come out yeah. about things. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be in the dark anymore. That's beautiful. You know, I just, I don't want to, I want to come here today. I want to tell my story. Yeah. You know, I want to tell people who are self-harming, you know, anorexia, bipolar, that they can get through it. You know, you can have multiple diagnoses and get through it. And live a really happy life. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I mean, my boyfriend at the moment, I've known him since I was 18 years old. Yeah. And we actually broke up for three years and I got back together with him. Mm. And I love him. And to me, he's just, the, I won't say his name because he'll kill me. You've already said it. <laughs> Have I? Yeah. <laughs> he'll kill me. He's sitting there shaking his head. Yeah, probably. Going, yeah, exactly. Amy, you've already said my name. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be I like, won't say it again. Yeah, he'll be like, GDPR. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he cried that before, actually, last time I tried to make a video with him. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that is the reason why we're sitting here yeah. today, though. You know, and how we got onto that, I suppose we were talking about the, the shift. Mm. And the, what I didn't, what shift I didn't mention was one you mentioned, which yeah. was, there's all these people coming forward. Yeah. In her shoes, there's all these people that was an telling their stories. Well, I mean, it's part. Yeah. It's one of the biggest parts of the reasons yeah. the eight passed. Yeah. because it gave depth and context and beauty to mm. to this situation, to this issue. Yeah, that people had no fucking clue about. Nobody, yeah. So what you're doing here today is giving depth and beauty and context 
to your story that other people are definitely, including me, are relating to right now. And maybe five people, ten people who yeah. listen to this are going to go, I don't want to stay in the dark anymore. Yeah. But I really take your point about the shift, including people being yeah. open and honest. Yeah. There is a shift there. There's definitely a shift. And again, like I suppose social media has kind of fueled that a bit. Well, it's provided yeah. a platform through which people can do it in a safe yeah. way. When people are relating to each other. Like if one person comes forward and says that listening to me today has helped them, I will be ecstatic. Well, you are helping me. <laughs> so nice. I am that person. So, oh. I mean, there's going to be other people who mm. are listening who are, are not lucky enough to be part of this conversation mm. and the conversation that we had in preparation for this. Yeah. Um, that will listen to it. But yeah, I really love that point you make about um, the shift of people not wanting to be in the dark anymore yeah. because it's so fucking brave, I yeah. believe. Like it's, it's not to be taken for granted. Well, like how many years were you in the dark? My whole life it felt like. Um, and I suppose as well for me is that I mentioned before earlier on in the podcast that I had a friend who died. Yes. And I had another friend who died. My best friend from college died. Um, it would have been April 2015 now and I am their voice you know now he died he actually died of natural causes but he's not around to tell his story because so he had a story voice. too yeah I'm the only person you know and not like I suppose that's kind of saying oh you speak for them no you no, know, no but it's not it's not it's not that way. I know no, you didn't mean it. Yeah, I, I just mean it in the fact that they'll never get to tell their story. Um, Like every birthday that goes by, I think that they're never going to get any older. Yeah. You know, and it really upsets me. Like, yeah. And I suppose, like, this is going to sound really macabre, but people go on about heaven and how you see people again in heaven. Yeah. <clears throat> and my big worry is that I'll die when I'm like 90, right? Why am I laughing already? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's funny. It's funny. Um, I'll die when I'm like 90 and then I'll get to heaven and they'll be like frozen in their 20s and 30s. You and you'll be so jealous. And I'll be really old and like... <laughs> <laughs> this is something that actually like... <laughs> I a, think there's a sketch about. show in that. There is a macabre, a macabre sketch yeah. in that that I will pay to see and will laugh at. But I do take your point about um, being their voice, but not in the way that you thought yeah. you've come across. Yeah. Um, and I think that's your one of your ways of coping with mm. the loss that you've experienced. Yeah. And turning it into something beautiful and something that is like energy giving instead yeah. of energy sapping. Yeah. You know? So it's a case of, you mentioned earlier about you just have to get through your day. Yeah. Just and, take it minute by minute if you have to just get through it because you are a survivor right yeah i like to think so <laughs> and not in the destiny's child song oh, sense of oh jesus don't talk to me i used to love it so did i don't tell anyone <laughs> but i mean in the sense that it wasn't like you've just gone through a traumatic incident mm. in your life you had probably 15 mm. to 20 years of what I would classify in my learning as trauma, mm. 
and still you're out the other side of that. So that is the sense in which I think people will be getting hope mm. that they too can progress through it. Yeah. You mentioned your boyfriend. Yeah. And your parents. Yeah. So how would you describe the impact that those three people have had? And what, what would you say is the importance of having significant people in your life to help you maintain it's extremely important it's extremely important and you know I suppose in ways like they've helped me in ways they don't even realize like you tell know them. yeah well, I'll get them to listen to this That's what I'm <laughs> tell them now um I suppose like one of the things and I was actually thinking about it on my way here right there's a look that my boyfriend gets in his eyes yeah when Ever I do something like you know if I cut myself or something there's, there's a very there's a look he gets um and there's a look my parents get and there's a look that people around me get and the look I can't really describe it it's kind of like an oh shit not again <laughs> type look but not no it's just a sad look or a worried look that people would give me and I was only thinking I haven't seen that look in a long time ah I was wondering where you were going with this yeah Okay, so that's so cool. Yeah. So you have a reference point of, oh, I fucked up again, bollocks. Yeah. And you're using the fact that you haven't seen that yeah. as motivation to keep going the way you're going. Yeah, like there's things I never want to see again. Like I never want to make my parents cry again. Um, Over that anyway, I'm sure I'll probably make them cry over something else. But like, you know, I, I don't want to ever upset my parents or my boyfriend and I will stay well. And not just for them, but for myself. Yeah. Um, well, that has to surely has to be the primary. Yeah, the primary uh, goal has to be stay well for yeah. you, and the offshoot of that is the great benefit of not having those significant others yeah. worrying. Yeah, about you. like that's that's a huge benefit, and you know, as I say, sometimes there's a look people get in their eyes, and you think, oh no, I don't want to do this, you know, and. As well, I would argue that that look that you're describing is just a mirror you're seeing yourself yeah maybe at that moment so actually probably you don't want to feel that way about yourself yeah. anymore so that's your motivation is actually coming yeah from within the mirror sometimes helps yeah <laughs> certainly in my life like get i wouldn't describe it as a look but i just know if i'm not connecting yeah you know, behaving in a way that is not strengthening my relationships yeah i get the mirror <laughs> And sometimes it could be a look, sometimes it could be something somebody says. Yeah. But the mirror is quite an important idea, I think, because it reflects back to you, okay, I'm going off balance here. Yeah. Need to do something exactly. to yeah. redress yeah. that balance. So the mirror can be, you're using it beautifully as a tool here. I didn't know where you, that, that's the way you were going <laughs> with that. I was like, hmm, it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, like it's just something, I suppose it's just something that upsets me so much when I see it that I just don't want to see it. Yeah. You know, and like I suppose like my siblings as well, like they they kinda know like obviously they've they've lived with me for a very long time. Um I have a sister who's eight years younger than me. And that's kind of I suppose one of my re regrets. I, I don't like saying regret actually because that makes it feel like sound like I had some control over the situation and what was happening to me. I didn't have control. Yeah. But you know, I just kind of feel that for her, being so young and seeing all this, yeah. you know, there was a guilt I carried for years. Now, it's okay now, like, we're friends again. 
<laughs> your pals. We're little buds again. Um, but for her, I suppose, because she was so young, and I think, you know, I, I don't like the idea that what happened to me might have traumatised her or had an effect on her because yeah. she was too young to be dealing with what she was dealing with. And, you know, I suppose even thinking back to my early teens, um, when I was cutting myself, my friends were too young to be dealing with what I was dealing with. Yeah. And I kind of feel in many ways that, you know, what happened to me not only destroyed my innocence, but destroyed the innocence of the people around me. So you carried that guilt for I carried that for years. a very, very long time. How now. did you get rid of the guilt, can I ask? Um, yeah, it was something my boyfriend said to me. It was um, something one person said mm. to you and got rid of all your guilt? Yeah. Tell me the secret. <laughs> he said to me that, like, other people had gone through the same things, but he said you were just the first. That's all it was, you were just the first. That was it, that's what mm. he said, and it, it all dissolved for you. Yeah. And I went, okay, you know, I suppose that's right. one way of looking at it. Um, and then you thought about it, and it made, yeah. started making more and more sense. Yeah. And I suppose thinking, well, this stuff is probably going to happen to other people anyway. I just happened to be the first person in my circle of friends that it happened to. Yes. You know? Um, like, obviously, I don't know necessarily what my friends were dealing with at the time either. No, and there's, there's a million things that were going on to yeah. them in their lives that That's the thing, you like, can't take on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or no, you didn't know about it. You can't take it on. It's yeah. not yours. Give it back. Yeah. Don't entertain it. Yeah. I've been blogging a lot lately about shame mm. and it was my mom actually because my mom's a psychotherapist and she um, she has wonderful insights around shame and guilt and I came to realise through my own therapy recently that I've been carrying around a lot of shame mm. that didn't belong to me. Yeah. Right? Now bear with me on this one. Okay. And shame makes you feel that you're not enough. It makes you feel that... It makes you feel like your self esteem is to the floor. Yeah. It makes you feel that you have no confidence, that you're not worthy. Yeah. Of either other people's love, of mm. love for yourself, of your family's yeah. love, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it makes you feel less than yeah. all the time. So I kind of had this realization that, and through talking with my mom, that I can, I don't own that shame. Yeah. I've, I've felt like I've owned it for so long. Yeah. And it is related to a good few incidents that I went through in school yeah. and my early life that I never um, really addressed or looked mm. at properly. So what I've been doing over the past three weeks is I've been using this visualization yeah. technique, right? Where I imagine, because I feel all of my anxiety in my stomach, yeah. Yeah, just just below my chest and above my groin, yeah. basically all the, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I can't believe I just said that on the podcast, below my chest and above my groin, but if you imagine my upper body as yeah. a wall, okay, and it's filled with bricks, just like any wall, you see the, you see the outline of mm. the bricks, blah, 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 so I've been treating each one of those bricks as a piece of shame, and in my imagination, I'm taking and removing one of the bricks, yeah which is shame, and in my meditations, I'm handing it back to the person that it belongs to. Now, it doesn't have to be an actual person. Yeah. But if you can feel where, okay, I'm feeling that shame because of this incident, yeah. okay, handing it back, and I'm replacing that brick with a, a solid gold yeah. brick. So my work at the moment is recognizing when I'm in that headspace where I'm feeling shamed, mm. recognizing even more importantly that it's not mine, yeah. removing the brick of shame yeah. <laughs> on my that's, torso, that's a really, really handing good it back. Yeah. Wishing nobody any ill will and replacing it with the and the gold, the golden block basically represents um, self confidence mm. and esteem. 
So guilt and shame, there's no place for it. In no. Lives, you know, but that's something that I think people might find useful. I'm certainly getting a lot from it recently. Mm. Would, would you say there's any parallels between what you were talking about there in terms of guilt? Definitely with shame? guilt. Yeah, definitely. Because I feel I'm one of these people, I'll walk around feeling guilty about everything. Right. Everything. Even now? Oh, no, not now. <laughs> not specifically now, but... But would you be doing it without realising it's happening? Oh, and then yeah. go, oh, that's why I feel shit today. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from, um, a sp uh, specifically shame, is that when I was very sick, I kind of had no filter, so I kind of did and said a lot of things that... Right. Um, you have no been... filter or you had no filter? Like I, I like to think a... I have a little bit of a filter now. Yeah, you don't strike me as somebody who doesn't have a filter now. You seem quite <laughs> I'm glad you're thing. saying this on record, by the way, because there's a yeah. lot who disagree with you. Okay, well, you can uh, take that snippet and turn it into a gif. I'm, and... I'm the kind of person who's, like, in the office, you know, shouting at someone, uh, messing, like, you know, yeah. and the boss is behind me. So you're um, on your best behaviour today. <laughs> I'm being really well behaved today, I'll have you know. Um... <laughs> Like I was actually, I was in my, um, in one of my jobs that I had, I was, I was in an office for a while and they were talking about somebody being like the fire monitor. Right. And, uh. Oh yeah, like the fire Like the person who, the yeah, like somebody, we called it the fire monitor, but the person who leads everybody out of the building. Yeah. And I laughed and I said, Asher, I said, don't ask me to do it. I said, try to let this place burn to the ground. Yeah. Fucking manager standing behind me. Oh Jesus. <laughs> So no, I really don't have a filter. Uh, I really don't care what I say. Well, actually, I, th I think you're using that lack of filter now as as uh, something you know to be proud of in terms of speaking about your your experience yeah. and and going forward. How do you see your process developing now after taking the plunge and doing yeah. something like this? For example, you mentioned that this was kind of your first step into yeah. really being an advocate and yeah. trying to help other people. How do how do you see your it's expanding as, as the years go on now into the future. I'm going to keep writing. Okay. I'm going to keep writing. Um, I want to write a novel. I've been saying this for years. Yeah. But I will write one. And lately I'm thinking of going autobiographical on it. Okay. Um, because, you know, as I say, I'm talking to you about this stuff and I realise there's been a lot. We've just scratched the surface here. <laughs> yeah. Haven't we? Really? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking for nearly an hour yeah. already. Like, how quickly did that go? <laughs> that went really quick. And so, yes, I think that you do have a lot of um, things that you can go mm. in depth on. Yeah. It, with, obviously, the view of furthering, yeah. helping further people. That's exactly what I want to do. And I have trigger warnings before all of my books. <laughs> yeah. Um, When I write my millions of books that I'm going to write. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I just, I suppose I just want people to feel that they're not by themselves. Um, because, you know, it is isolating, you know, and there is a certain, like, as you were saying, the guilt and the shame of it. Um, I remember one time, um, and I actually remember this, but I, this is just a very vivid memory for me, but I was working in a supermarket part time through college. Yeah. And... I was having like a manic episode and I told about like 10 customers that I'd written a best-selling book that was number one in the book charts, <laughs> right? Which sounds hilarious. <laughs> fully believed it, by the way. Fully Why believed are you it. working in the supermarket would have been my question. Yeah, I got taken off the till after about 10 minutes. So why like, do you need the money to? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
but I got taken off the till for the rest of the day. And um, it was absolutely like it was actually like I felt ashamed of it, but a lot of people I think when you do have a manic episode just yeah. presume you're on drugs, like which is nearly or off your drugs. Yeah, like it's kind of I suppose, and that's that's kind of the thing about it. Like I found is that people understand drugs in that you take them, you get a high. Yeah. You know, eating disorders. You want to be skinny. Yeah. People can relate to that. Self-harm, not so much. Self-harm, you want a release. Yeah. Was that accurate? I would say, well, yeah, I would say that was accurate. Because it it's quite a common, like I, I'm lucky enough that I haven't mm. self-harmed in my life. Yeah. In the same way that you have. But mm. that's kind of the general consensus on this, that it's a release. So was that what it, it was is, like for yeah, you? Yeah, it's a release. And I suppose that, you know, the, the pain on the inside, match, the pain on the outside would match the pain that was on the inside as well. Right, so it kind of um, balances out. Yeah, I would have protected myself with it in that way. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, it was like it was quite bad. Like I, I remember taking, um, I remember taking razor blades apart in my teeth. Jesus. Okay. Mm. Like, it was absolutely awful. Yeah. Um, again, not something I do now. I'd be scared. I'd cut my mouth. Yeah. You know, but I had. I would walk around with bloodstained clothes, yeah. um, and a lot of blood, yeah. and it got to the point where I think people just gave up, and. But except for two people. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think in a lot of ways, and you know, at the time that for me, when people do give up, you know, I suppose in a way I wanted them to give up because I was really suicidal yeah and i figured that if people had given up on me they'd be better prepared for what was going to happen next which was in my head that i was going to die yeah um you know and i would it was just it kind of i just never quite got there for some reason well am i correct in saying that that was around the time that your friend died yeah, it was if she died a couple of months later. Okay, so I didn't know that yeah. when you were saying she that. Was, so she so was, that really was a pivotal yeah. point in your life that has brought you to here yeah. today and is kickstarting the rest yeah. of what you're trying to do here. Yeah. Like, and as well as that, like, my grandmother as well died. Okay. And she actually died before my friend. And there was another thing that I didn't want to let her down because she knew. She knew the whole story. Yeah. And she's somebody that I would think about every single day because um, she was dying herself and she knew everything that was going on with me. She was a huge positive influence. Massive. Great and supporter. Like, yeah, she was a great supporter and anything I told her, she didn't tell my mom. So she used to <laughs> let me smoke cigarettes in her back garden. Like, <laughs> Good old granny. She was, no, she was amazing. She actually like, uh, I remember my parents went away for three weeks when I was 19 and left me in the house by myself. And I was, my parents were very anti-smoking. And I, of course, wanted to smoke in the house. So my nana came around and she just, all she said to me was, if you're going to smoke, just smoke in the kitchen. It's easier to air out. <laughs> <laughs> that's so old school. When you think about gas yeah. now. Like. But it was, it was grand because then I went, oh, that's a good point, nana. I'll just smoke in the kitchen, which is what I did. Because I had all these, like, I was, I was 19. I thought I was the coolest person ever. Like, I loved the idea of, like, sitting in my window, sitting at my window in my bedroom, you know, with a cigarette on the windowsill. I Such thought a I'd, rebel. I thought I was really cool, 
Yeah. <laughs> Listening to your records. Seriously, like, I I actually, I thought it was, I think when you're, I, I suppose that was from kind of having the bipolar is that the mania kind of inflates yeah. um, everything. But no, I, I just thought I was cool. Are you saying the mania and bipolar inflates your sense of your ego? Yeah, that type of thing? it can do, I think. As in, F everyone else. Yeah. I'm the shit. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that about mania. Yeah, I well, that's just my personal experience of it. Um, You know, because I suppose with mania, like, everything just moves so quickly yeah. as well. And, you know, you, you feel like a goddess. You know, you feel like you're getting everything done. You're powering through everything. Um, you're living on coffee, like you said earlier. Yeah, like, and it's like, I didn't sleep for... I remember getting really bad and I didn't sleep for about six months. I'd say I got an hour a night max. What? Yeah. I literally didn't sleep for about six months. And then they gave me meds. <laughs> oh, that was when you weren't taking meds? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was I was on and off them like a yo-yo. Yeah. Like, as I say, you'd, you'd stop taking them and then you'd nearly be worse and you'd need them back again. And that's actually, and I know a lot of people are very anti-medication, but medication for me has been a massive part of my recovery. Yeah. Massive part of my recovery. I was just going to ask you, mm. how have you found it recently? Yeah, no, it's it's been, like what I'm on now, um, like I'm on a couple of things now and I have to say. Working for you. Really working for me. And I'm scared because I mean, I know that there will be a time when I'll have to come off them. Um, Why? Just in case I ever had kids. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. If I got pregnant, I couldn't take them. Blokes don't have to worry about that stuff. No, they know. really don't. I just, I was just my <laughs> ignorance shone like the brightest Alan sunset ever. Just yeah, there, that's that's your that straight question. white male privilege like, there. Oh, yeah, I'm so privileged. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my white male privileged head on me, asking a stupid question on a wellness podcast. <laughs> but yeah no I mean but it's it's something that I feel that in the future I, I should be able to deal with or yeah. hope and you know my mum keeps saying to me she's like oh you know you probably won't suffer from postnatal depression because they'll be watching you you know <laughs> so yeah. um, they'll be watching you for that so I was like yeah I said I'll probably still fucking suffer from it um, <laughs> but just they'll just yeah me. they'll just be aware of it you know yeah. Um, but yeah I mean that's just I suppose medication and just the little kind of things that I do would get me through the day. Great. But you do have to do them. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the trick, isn't it? That is the trick. Even like we said earlier, if it's doing nothing, you are doing it. Yeah. With the intention of relaxing and mm. taking your mind away from the, well, I don't like saying humdrum, mm. but you know, the, the manicness of yeah. day, daily life. Definitely, yeah. So we're coming to the end of today's episode of the Danko Wellness Project podcast. Amy, your story has been heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, horrifying in ways, but ultimately hopeful and inspiring and something that I said to you already today, which is I am already the first person who's got a lot from your story in the moments that you're telling me so i have no doubt that a lot of people who are either going through one of the things that you've gone through or a collection of things mm. that you've gone through will be feeling jesus christ i can actually recover here yeah. or i can i can go on to a wellness podcast yeah. and help other people and that's how the dominoes mm. fall that's how it cascades we talk about social media you know 
how we, it could be a positive yeah. force for people to get, as you said, out of the darkness, mm. which is such a beautiful, horrifying image at the same time. To come, but to be transcending from that darkness into a place mm. where your hands are open, you're looking people in the eye yeah. who are also suffering and saying, "There's hope. Mm. There's help. Ask me anything. Yeah. Do an AMA with me. Yeah, exactly. I'll answer your questions. You yeah. Know? So I just want to say thanks a million for coming on. Well, thanks for um, having me, and thanks for saying that as well. Oh, that's no problem. It's the whole reason why I set it up in the first place, and why I was so receptive to your message on Instagram and to meet up for coffee to let you know why I set this up and you are you know a shining example of the whole reason why this podcast has been set up so lastly guys I just want to say if you are struggling with anything similar to what Amy has gone through and listening to this episode has hit you please contact me at dankyowellnessproject.gmail.com and I'll be able to direct you to any supports that you think you might need if you are struggling anyway with something that wasn't discussed today but you're having just a difficult time I'm also available um, for messages on Instagram Dankyo Wellness Project and Facebook Dankyo Wellness Project as well um, thanks a million for listening if you are of the mind to please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your family and friends about the podcast because I'm trying to reach as many people as possible in the hope that we could all help each other to be more well i'm constantly trying to think of a better way to say that so it's a bit it's, it's not great for somebody who says he's a bit of a writer but just for just to extend the community of people who are trying to help each other get better feel better manage their lives on a day-to-day much better um and yeah so thanks amy for coming on today well, thank that's you love for the future me.